Party, please. Right, I guess what we do is just drive around this circle here. Should be the second left exit. There's a hotel. Hey, look, kids. There's Big Ben and there's Parliament. There it is, there it is, there it is. I know. I can't seem to get over to the left, honey. I'll try next time. Sorry. We'll get out of this jam in a minute. Kids, Big Ben, Parliament again. We know Big Ben. Parliament. Ah! Look, kids, forget it. <laughs> it's amazing. I cannot get left. There's Big Ben, kids. Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I don't know if you've ever been to any of those kind of places in your life. Um, it is funny, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I were in Cape Cod and uh, came up to one of those signs that says roundabout, which is what that is called. And uh, we, we got on it, we'd been on some before, but we're following the GPS. GPS said, take the fourth exit off of this roundabout. So we get on the roundabout, one, two, three, and there's no four. And, and, uh, and I said, well, what in the world? And so we, we go around it again, right? Okay, well, we, we come to the second time, and we're counting, and, it's, and it, we pass it again. So we go literally the third time, the third time we get there, and he said, but that's not the right street. So I pass it one more time. The, there's this guy on the road. He's a political guy. He's got a sign. The first time we come by, he's waving at us. By the third time, he's going, what are you doing, Right? Finally, after the fourth time, I cut two people off and we, we take off the road, right? Okay? So you understand there are times in life when it seems like that's where it goes. And, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. When we get to chapter 6, we're, that's exactly where we're going to be when it comes to the children of Israel. If, if you're new to us or with us today, we're on an overview journey of the scriptures, of the Bible. And we're using this, this resource called the story, which is the Bible in a chronological order. And it helps us walk through the scriptures and we're taking a journey, seeing how God's story, and, and that's what's interesting. This isn't, the Bible isn't just a collection of, of random stories. It literally is one story. It's God's story. And, and as we've been looking at it, it's, it's kind of set up in, in, as I see it, in three ways. We have the upper story. We have what God is doing, what he has been doing. He created the earth heavens and the earth, and we know it in the book of Revelation, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and it's that time in between is where we're living, which takes us to the lower story, and the lower story is us, it's the human experience, it's what we go through, and as we've learned, those two stories were running side by side early in the book, the book of Genesis, but man quickly chose not to follow God's plan, not to be a part of his relationship, his story, and sin entered into the world. Sin, death, and destruction. And now, even though God's story is still going, man's lower story looks kind of a mess, kind of a chaotic uh, circumstances and all those things. But remember, God's story is still going on. And ultimately, his story, what we got from the book of Genesis on, is his plan to get us back, to bring our stories back into connection. That's what God is doing through the story we call the Bible, which leads us to the third part of the story, and that's my story. That's your story. How does all of this, God's story and the human experience and how they intersect, how does that apply to you today and through the rest of your life? And that's what we're learning about the story. Well, what we know about God's plan to get us back involves a nation, a family. God is going to pull together a family, and it's within that family he's going to bring about the opportunity to bring the world back to him started with a guy named Abraham. He was the first, the, the father of this nation. This nation is going to uh, eventually be called Israel. And it's the same Israel that we know today. This, this nation becomes the one that God is going to use throughout his story to bring the human race in an opportunity to come back to him. So as we move along this story, Israel found themselves moved to a, to a place called Egypt. They were there for over 400 years as slaves, God delivers them from slavery after 400 and some years, and he's taking them back to the land that he promised them, to the, to the area that he said, this is where I want you to live, I want you to be a part of. He's taking them back there. And today we pick up the story, and we're going to start it in Deuteronomy. That's, that's a fun word to say. Just say that with me, Deuteronomy. 
How many of you just said Deuteronomy? How many of you just said that? Uh, almost half the people, I, I don't know why, Deuteronomy, but it's Deuteronomy, however you want to say it. You can just say dude if you want. It's just too hard to say it, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 1 introduces the story this way. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Now, the reason that's significant is because what he's saying there in this story is Israel, the people, God's people, are sitting on the edge of being right where God wants them to be, into the promised land. East of the Jordan, in the, they're right on the edge. They could, they're, they're right ready to do what God has wanted them to do. That's where God has them. And, and that's, 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 great, that's a great talk, great thing. In fact, if you were to go through the book of Deuteronomy, what the book of Deuteronomy really is, it's a series of sermons that Moses gives to, his, to the people of Israel. And this series of sermons is literally just a pep talk. It's his last words to them before they're going to go into the land that God has promised them. And so he's telling them, he's encouraging them, and he's challenging them. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is basically just this, this locker room pep talk to them as, as they're coming to the place that God wants them to be. And what he does is he recounts the trip, how they got to this place, all the ways that they got to where they are and how they got to where, where, where God wants them to be. And, and so what we found last week is they were at a mountain called Sinai or Horeb. They're both the same mountain. And God had given them the Ten Commandments. God was, was showing them. He introduced himself to them so that they know who, who God is, and he's promised them that they would know. And so now Moses picks up at that point where we were last week in verse number uh, 6, and he says this, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb or Sinai, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. Last week, what we, where we left them at, the, at Mount Sinai, where they got the Ten Commandments, they spent almost a year right there at, Ma at Mount Sinai. And in that time, God was showing them what they need to know, was introducing them. So this is a great verse. What he's saying is, now God says, all right, you're ready. We've been here a little over a year now. It's time to move on, to break camp, and to, and to take off. That is, that's exciting stuff. This is a great part of the story. But just in case you've missed this, in this first chapter of Deuteronomy, he also gives us a time marker. A time marker about when was Moses saying these words to Israel. And if you go back to verse number 3, here's what it says. It was in the 40th year. From the time God said, all right, get up and go, to the time when they actually were sitting on the east side of the Jordan ready to go in, it took 40 years to go from there to there. You say, man, how long was that journey anyway? I mean, that's a long, take you 40 years to move from point A to point B. Took them 40 years to get to the point where now they're ready to go in. And according to verse 2, it was a trip that should have taken about 11 days. And it took them over 40 years. That's where we come to chapter 6 of the story. And it's, they titled it, The Wandering. The idea of this children of Israel now wandering, which takes us to our opening video, that idea of just kind of circling and moving and making no progress. And the idea of just, oh, look, kids, there's Big Ben, Parliament, and just there it again. Forty years of that, these children moved, the children of Israel moved from, from a, a location to A to B that should have taken a couple of weeks, took them 40 years to get there. Now, what I find very important, and please get this, remember, we're talking God's story, this story, our story, is God actually in the New Testament takes this, this story and shows us how significant this wandering is for us today. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, you'll see it in verse number 11, talking about this period of wanderings, this was Paul's uh, uh, commentary, these things, the wanderings, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. What we're going to read in this chapter 6, the, the, the wanderings, he says there's examples and warnings in there for you. There's something in there that we need to listen to in the current journey that we're on. And we can learn from these wanderings by example and by warning of what God wants us to know. Here's the, what we're going to try to learn today. One is how, do I, how can I work at having a successful journey? A successful spiritual journey that got, what are some things that I can learn from these wanderings to help me in that? Another thing is, how can I avoid the wanderings? 
Is it possible to not ever, to, to avoid some of these wanderings, the 40-year the circular pattern that these, is that possible? I mean, like a Christian treadmill. I mean, you're, you're going miles and miles, but you haven't moved, right? You, you're doing a lot of activity, but nothing, how can I avoid that? Or if I'm in there, how do I get out of it? How do I see this journey that God has for me to be the success that God wants it to be? So we're going to get to there, and to do, let's just start this, let's start this walk this way. Four different things that I want you to kind of grab as we're walking through these wanderings that are examples. Remember, they're examples for us, things that he wants us to learn. First thing is this. Deliverance is the start of a purposeful journey. When the children of Israel started this whole thing, they, it started because they cried out to God after 400 years of slavery. He said, God, please deliver us. Please bring us freedom. Please help us. And God came through in an incredible way. And though they were in the, under the, one of the most powerful governments, especially at that time, the government of Egypt, God delivers them through these powerful things. But here's what you got to remember. In the upper story, God had a lot more uh, involved than just seeing them delivered from slavery. There was something else God had. Back in chapter 6 of Exodus, when all this started for them, he said, uh, God said to them, tell Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Okay, so that was it. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you freedom. He goes on to say, and when you have freedom, then we're going to get to know me. You're going to know me as the Lord God. But notice how the verse ends. And I will bring you to the land. He said, there is a reason for this deliverance. Yes, you want to be free? That's fantastic. I, I get that. And I'm going to introduce you who I am. And that's going to be the part of the journey now and forever. But there is a purpose for this. And that is to get you to that land to get you to the place that I want, you, that I had designed for you, the place that I have in mind for you. God's plan started with a deliverance. One night, these people go to bed, they're slaves. The next morning, they're free, literally. But what happened that night freed them from the bonds of Egypt, and they walk out, almost two million people strong, they walk out now as free people. That's deliverance. That's what God did in their lives. They went out with confidence. They, the Bible says they went out with a high hand. But remember, they also had a clear goal. We're leaving not just to go, okay, we're out of Egypt. We have a destination. We're heading to what they call the promised land. We're heading to the land that God said that he would have for us. So remember, this is an example. Paul said this is an what, what is the example? What can we learn at this part for us? Understand that each one of us in this room, God knows and we begin to realize that each one of us have a need of deliverance. We need to be free from death, from sin, from the shame, from, from the, the hole in our life, from the, the eternity without God. We, we've been separated from him because of our sin. We too need deliverance. And God wants to, in your life, to, for Jesus' plan is to see you come to, to salvation from your sins, to come to freedom, to come to know Christ. And, and ultimately, though, understand, this is the start of a purposeful journey. God is beginning in your life at that deliverance. When he saves you, it's not just, woo, now I, now I go to heaven. It's, 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 what that does is that begins in your life a journey. That, that deliverance is the beginning of a journey. You are free indeed through Jesus Christ, but it's the beginning of what God is going to show you, a journey. As, as Jesus called it, a journey of abundant life. He has this place, this, this experience that he wants you to know him in a deep, a full way, uh, the fullness of life. It's a journey, that God, and it started at the moment you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Deliverance is the start of a purposeful journey. Paul refers to it in that same passage as your race. It's the race that God has set before you. It's the journey God has in front of you. And it begins at the moment of your salvation, of your deliverance. Here's the second thing I learned from these wanderings, and that's this. A successful journey needs good directions. In order for you to, to take this journey and go to where you need to be, you need good directions. Now, I've, I've been at this long enough, and, and one thing I know is it, it's, it's one thing to know where you're going where I want to be, it's another thing to know how to get there. I read a quote this week that somebody said, I'm not lost, I'm exploring, right? Okay, some of you would say that to your kids. We're not lost kids, I know exactly where we're at. We're right here, right? I have no idea where we're, you know where you need to go, but getting there, you have to have good directions. You have to know the way in which it's going to happen. Can you, I mean, our highway system in America is fantastic, 
Can you imagine living in the, the West back before the roads? And they're saying, head west, young man. And some of us would go, is that right, left? I mean, how do you, what do you mean? What is it just to go? How do you, you, you have no idea how to get to where that next place is. If God just says, hey, listen, guys, we're going to a place, and this is where I want you to be. And then he leaves them to figure their own way out. That's confusion. But God doesn't do this. In this purposeful journey, God also gives them very specific directions. I'm going to read through some scriptures. I want you to see how right from the beginning, this, these were not wanderers at the beginning. They were very certain, knowing where they were going to go, knowing how they get here. In fact, in Exodus chapter number 13, here's what the Bible says. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel a day or night. God says, I'm going to not only tell you where you need to go, I'm actually going to go with you. There's a pillar, there's a, there's a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud. That Just follow that. You just go where that goes. They had specific instructions. They weren't wandering. They knew exactly not only where they were going, but how to get there. But here's what we understand. God's directions don't always make sense to us. God wants to direct you, but some of the ways he takes you may not always compute in your, in your head. If you look in, in as they, they saw this, it said, the Bible, this is very interesting. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. How many of you, when you pick your GPS, you just, the shortest route. I just want to get there quick, or the quickest route to get there. He says God led them, but he didn't lead them the, the shorter route, the easiest route. Because God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. In case you're wondering, I'm going to put up a map here and just, just to show you kind of what, what happens. If you look... Uh, if you can see it on the far left is where they started. That's the land of Goshen. And if they would have gone straight across, they would have headed right into the promised land. That's where Hebron, that's where the promised land is, toward the land of the Philistines. That's a much shorter route, just a straight shot. I mean, the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. That would have been a straight line right into it. But understand, that would have been, God said, would have been war. That was all still owned by Egypt. That would have been a, So God actually led them down, if you'll notice, and he, right to the Red Sea, and somewhere across there, they crossed the Red Sea, and then down to, and down here at the bottom is what, where we were last week, Mount Sinai, or Horeb. Now, in logical statements, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But remember, God's working in the upper story. Lower story doesn't always make sense to us. Why, God, am I going here? God says, trust me. This is, I'm giving you directions. You've got to trust what I'm, I'm telling you to do. Now, after about a year, remember, they're at Horeb. Now look at the next verse on Numbers chapter number 10. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai, and they traveled from place to place until the cloud came and rest in the desert of Paran. Now again, God is giving specific directions. Now if we go back to the map, you start here at Mount Sinai down at the bottom, and now this is where they're going to go, right up here, the promised land. And so God is leading them. And according to the Bible, it should take about 11 days to get from point A to point B. And so they go from Sinai to Kadesh. That was God's plan for them. That was where God had said, do you understand? They're not wandering. God's saying, this is where I want you to go. And I'm actually giving you the exact dimensions, everything that, that is going to happen. So they're about a, a year and a half into this. They've been about 18 months or so out of Egypt. They're now sitting where it says Kadesh Barnea at the top. That's right right on, the, on the, the border of Canaan, on the border of the promised land. They're, they can smell it. I mean, they are that close. And according to Deuteronomy 1, 21, here's what Moses, excitedly, here's what Moses says. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You're here, guys. It's taken us about a year and a half, but that's not too bad for two million people with all their flocks. and everything. That's a pretty good pace, if you want to think about it, going all that direction. But they're there. They're right on the border. They're right where God has told them to be. They followed his specific directions. They send out 12 guys. They were spies because they'd never been in this land. It makes good sense to go out and just kind of see what you have to look forward to. The 12 guys come back, and their conversation starts very good. Here's how it says, It is a good land, they said, that the Lord our God is giving us. But there's always a problem <laughs> in something of this order when, when that word comes into play. However... But, and they go on to say, the people there are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. 
And there's an actual quote from Numbers chapter 13 where the men said, we're not able, 10 of the men said, we're not able to go up against these people for they're stronger than we are. And notice their description. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them. They're right on the border. They've been there about 18 months. They're right on the border, ready to go where God told them to go. The men, 10 of the men come back and say, this was great. However, we can't do this. They're too strong. They're too big. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They'll just eat us for lunch. We can't do this. And that lack of enthusiasm spread like wildfire among all those two million people. And before long, they're actually talking about stoning Moses and Aaron, getting a new leader, and go back to Egypt. Said, we'd rather go back to Egypt than to go in and to suffer this. They're that, they're that close, folks. I mean, they can see the promised land, and they are stopping where God, God says go, and they, they stop. Deuteronomy 1, here's how Moses said it. He tries to encourage them. He says, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. And notice how he describes it. The Lord is going before you. He will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. You saw how the Lord carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached his place. He said, guys, listen, have you been, have you been awake this whole journey? For 18 months, God delivered you from Egypt. God has taken care of you. God has supplied for you. God has done amazing things. We can do this. But here was his summary response. Verse 26, Moses said, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And the wandering begins. At that point, what should have been an 11-day trip now turns into 40 years. Think about a 40-year vacation in a campsite with your relatives. Think about that. 40 years they're going to travel because of this particular instance of what happened here at this moment. God says that they're one year for all the days that they, they went and spied out the land, which was 40 days, so for 40 years. And to add to that, he said everyone except for Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who gave a good report, everyone else 20 years old and older will die before this 40 years is up. 40 years, you're going to wander, and everyone 20 years and above, all those, the leaders and that should have made a difference, all of you are going to die before the 40 years expires. They're so close. But what was going to be an 11-day journey now becomes this circling. Now becomes this moment where you, you, you look and they're at Kadesh, but they, they cannot advance any further. It, one man described it as 40-year death march because 40 years and one after another of those 20 years and older passed away as that 40 years of wandering continues for the children of Israel. Now remember, Paul said this was examples and warnings for us. So let's think about it. How does this apply? You understand that wandering Followers of Christ, it is possible that our lives could get into that treadmill pattern. That there's, their choices are made to the point where we're, we're still breathing, but we're not making any spiritual progress. Our heart's still beating, but our spiritual life is not making, is not going, where it's not making to that abundant life that God has intended for us. Moses alluded to a few things. See if any of these may be reasons that maybe you found yourself wandering. First thing that Moses mentions is the idea of stubbornness. He just said, you're not willing to go up. You were just not willing to go. You just said no. Just ask yourself, are there any things in your life right now that you're just saying no to God about? I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. That's just not, I'm, I'm not doing it, and I've gotten good excuses, but I'm just not going to, just stubbornness. One of the things he used, that, that'll get you into pattern of wandering. Another thing is, is comfort. What they began to realize, they said our, our hearts melted when we heard the reports because suddenly they're realizing this is going to be a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. It's a lot easier to stay where we are because we're, we, we're safe. Everything's good right here. To go into there, we've got to go into battle. and We, we kind of like the comfort that we're in. Anytime that you're, you're asked to move and to make a change, it, it moves you out of your comfort zone. And comfort will keep you in a wandering pattern, not making the progress, not seeing where God wants you to be. But we also know very clearly that fear was an issue. They were terrified. They, they allowed what, the, the, what not, and sometimes it's the fear of the unknown. I get that. 
But for them, it was the fear of the known. They knew that this was going to be hard, and they, they were more worried about the size of the enemy than they were about the size of the God who had brought them so far. Sometimes it's fear of failure. If I do this, it doesn't work. And what, what is it that's keeping us wandering? It could be any of those things, but Moses narrows it down to, to something that I think encompasses them all. One specific thing. Look how Moses said this in verse 31 of Deuteronomy 1. You did not trust in the Lord your God. Ultimately, the reason they wandered is they just did not trust God. And he went on to say, it's the God who went ahead of you in the journey. Remember the cloud and the fire? He was giving you directions. He was showing you exactly what it, the directions were fantastic. He got you right here. That same God is the same that's going to go with you, and you just did not trust him. You might mark this down. Any, fa any spiritual failure in your life is ultimately a faith failure. Any time that we don't move is ultimately because at some point we just do not trust God for that next step. We do not trust God for what he has called us to do. Now, now remember, when you're talking about getting directions, the, the idea is simply if, if I, so I just follow the directions, follow the instructions. The other night, um, my wife and I had a chance to go visit uh, one of her sisters and we were going to meet at a certain place. So we plug it in the GPS. But as the, I'm looking through the directions, and I don't know if any, I, I'm a map guy. I've always been. And so I'm kind of learning to get in this GPS mode, right? Okay. I, because I, I still, maps still make more sense to me. And I'm looking in this little direction. I'm going, boy, that doesn't sound right. That just, I don't think where, where I thought this place was and where the GPS is taking, it just didn't, didn't make sense. So we call the sister and we say, listen, uh, does this sound right? And she said, oh, no, no, that's not right. So she gave us directions. You go this way, and you turn left here, and you turn right there, and you go to the big barn, and you go to the tree, and you go to the pond. And, and, and so I just followed the GPS, okay? <laughs> I just it came down to who are you going to trust? It's not just following the directions because, listen, the GPS can give you directions. It can tell you which way to go, but that's all it is. It's directions. It's not just about saying, this is the direction that I need to go. This was, these were, you know, God gave them directions, but it wasn't just here, turn by turn. It wasn't like Siri saying, you know, 500 feet, your destination's on your left. God actually went with them. These were not just directions. This was God's presence. This was God showing them. It's a matter of trusting, not just in the directions, but here's what I got you to understand. The key to success in this journey is not trusting the directions, it's trusting the director. It's trusting the one who's giving the directions. It's the idea of understanding that the, 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 the key to any good directions, they're only as good as the person giving them, as the source you're getting the directions from. A few weeks ago, I was walking around our neighborhood, and, and, I, and I do that once in a while, and a guy pulled up beside me, pulled his car over, rolled his window down. He said, hey, do you know how to get to here? Well, I knew exactly what he was talking about. I said, oh, yeah, you go turn right here. And, and he said, thanks. And he's going off. And as he left, I, it hit me about 30 seconds later. I sent him the exact opposite direction of where he needed to go. And I'm going, oh, shoot. And I'm running to the house so he can't find me, right? Because he <laughs> guaranteed there's some guy going, that big goober in the big blue sweatshirt sent me the wrong way, right? Okay. Because your directions are only good as the source that you get your directions from. So it's not about trusting just the directions, the right and left. It's do you trust the one giving them? Christians, do you really trust whatever God tells you to do is the right thing to do? Do you really trust that what he tells you in his word to do is the right thing to do? Even if you don't understand it, even if you may not agree with it, do you trust it? I want to take the last few minutes, I want to focus on one particular part of this wanderings. If you have your story, the book today, it's page 78. And in this particular story, we're going to learn how all of this directions kind of comes together. It's an incident that happened in the wandering that that really emphasizes all that we're talking about today. It starts this way, page 78. And it's actually in Numbers chapter 20 and verse number 1. And the chapter opens this way. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh, and there Miriam died and was buried. Now, let's make sure you understand. They've been traveling, and they're following God's directions. They're at this point, Desert of Zin. But they're, they're at Kadesh here because God. they've been following his directions, and they've got them here. Now, there's some discussion about where this is in the journey. All it says in there is in the first month. 
well, we don't know the first month of what year exactly. So well, there is some discussion, but pretty much the majority say this is somewhere, by the time we get to Numbers 20, this is somewhere between year 38 and year 40 of their journey. So they've been on this journey now almost the entire 40 years, right? It's now the wanderings, as we know it, is, going, is starting to come to an end. All the people who have, were 20 and older, they are almost all died, have all died out by this point. And when they come to this point, almost 38 years later, 40 years later, they have a, I call it a deja vu event. Some things happen here that they've got to, Moses especially has got to look back and said, man, I've, I've seen this before. First of all, it says that they came to Kadesh. Well, Kadesh may not make sense to you, but if you read the story, you read your verses, that's exactly where this whole thing started. They were at Kadesh when God said, okay, you're right here, you're on the, you're on the border, go in and take it. That was Kadesh. That's where 40 years ago, God said, go in, and they said, no, don't want to do it. That was Kadesh. So they have been here before. This was the point that 40 years ago, their parents said, no, we're not going to do it, and they started wandering for the next 40 years. But there's also something's going to happen in chapter 20 that happened almost identically 40 years earlier. Right after they came out of Egypt, Exodus 17, all this 2 million people, they came to a place just on the other side of the Red Sea, and they didn't have any water. They cried out to God. In fact, the Bible says in Exodus 17, they quarreled with Moses, exact quote. And the exact quote also says, and we want to go back to Egypt. We should have just died in Egypt. That's what they said. Why did you bring us here out of Egypt to die of thirst in the wilderness? That was their quote from Exodus 17. What, what God did is he supplies for them. But here's what I want you to see. Now, this is 38 years, almost 40 years later. Listen to what happens in this story, Numbers 20. Now there was no water for the community. And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron, and they quarreled with Moses. Man, this sounds like the exact same instance. And they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Look at this. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grapes, figs, grapevines, pomegranates. There's no water to drink. You've been telling us about this great land of milk and honey, and we've been walking around for 40 years, and now we don't even have any water problem is, this is actually even worse than deja vu, because think about it. Forty years ago, it was their parents saying to Moses, Moses, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Moses, this is crazy. Moses, what, what's up with this? Now we have 38, 40 years later, and their children have picked up the same attitude. They're complaining the same way. Parents, have you ever had that horrible sinking feeling when your kid repeats something that you said? that you wish they hadn't repeated. And it sounds a lot worse coming out of their little mouth than it did coming out of yours. Or, or maybe later in life when you see your kid doing something that you did and you think, why are they repeating my, st my same stupid mistakes? That's what we have here. We have a generation that has just picked up where their parents left off and they are now complaining. And, and let me make sure you understand this. Complaining itself is a sign of a lack of trust in God. Just the fact that we're complaining about where we're at is in itself a sign. Remember, when, whenever we get directions from someone or something and we're, we're supposed to go there and turn, those are just directions, how to get from point A to point B. But these were God's, not just his directions, this was his presence telling them where to go, telling them where to be. And, and it wasn't that these were just written down things. He cared for them. He had protected them. He had brought them to this place and he'd shown. So now they're saying literally, this God who's taking care of us has forgotten about us. This God who's taking care of us doesn't care about us. Do you realize when we complain about the journey, we're expressing our doubts into the very heart and the goodness of God himself? God, I don't like this. God, why is this still happening? Why won't you get me out of this? God, why here? This is painful. This is uncomfortable. God, this, this world is a mess. The elections are going crazy. And, and, we're just, and, and when we're saying those things, what are we saying? We're saying, God... You, things are out of your hands. Things are not in control. God, this doesn't, it, this doesn't look right. And so, God, I am saying that you've, you're messing up somewhere, God. This whole children of Israel had just picked up where their parents had left off. Complaining simply means I don't trust you, God. And that's what the people said. Well, if you keep reading the story, Moses and Aaron, they did the right thing. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went to the assembly, the entrance of the tent. They fell face down. 
And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They went to the, the tabernacle, the tent where God meets with them. They prayed to him. God's glory came. Now, in the first time this happened, Exodus 17, here's what God told Moses. He said, Moses, there's no water, but there's a big rock right up there. Remember, this is a totally different location, but just the same circumstances. Go to that rock, bring all the people together, and I want you to take that staff in your hand, I want you to, to hit that rock, and when you do, water's going to come out and feed all the, and give water for all the people, all their livestock, everything. Moses went over, he hit the rock, water came out, huge miracle. I mean, we're not just talking a little trickle of water, we're talking water that gave water for all two million people plus everything that they had with them. Huge miracle. Well, now look what God says in this story. Numbers 20, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff. Okay, sounds very similar. You and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Now notice, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Now it's very similar instructions, but one very specific difference. Rather than hit the rock, you're to speak to the rock. Here's what Moses does. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, now this he added, this wasn't part of God, but he said, listen, you rebels, must me we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank, and they were all filled, all that they needed. And from a lower story perspective, and I guarantee you, all the people around were saying, ooh, good job, Moses, yay, it was a success, we got water, everything we needed. But folks, from an upper story perspective, God had a whole different opinion of what just happened. The next verse says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into land I give to them. Because you struck that rock rather than speak to the rock, Moses, you're not going into the promised land with the people. What? Okay, let's, let's kind of fill that in a little bit. The guy who God called specifically to lead them, the guy who'd had a part in all of these great miracles, I mean, it was with that staff and Moses' words that the Red Sea parted. It was the, the plagues and all. God had used him in this incredible way. He'd already brought water now twice from a rock with God's help. This man who'd been with these complaining people for 40 years and he's not even get to go into the land? First response might be, God, that's just not fair. This just doesn't sound fair. From our lower source perspective, that doesn't sound right. And that's when we have to remember the hideous nature of any sin within anything that goes against God's plan and, his, and against what he has called us. Anything like that in and of itself is, why was this so bad? Why was this such a bad thing? God said, smack, I smacked the first time. This time God said, speak. Well, you know what? It worked the first time. Why not do it the second thing with the second? I'm mad. Why is this such a big deal? Think about this. First of all, it was direct disobedience, rebellion against God. Directly disobeyed what God had just said out of his mouth. Kind of like the people have been doing for a few years. Moses is to be the example. And he directly in front of them disobeyed what God had told them. And then God says, and by doing so, you didn't make me holy in their sight. Here's what Moses said. Moses gets all up in arms. He's saying, you rebels. You know what? I don't blame Moses. I don't know about you been hanging out with these complaining people for 40 years. I'd want to give them a piece of my mind too. And that's what he starts. I rebels. But then he goes on to say, must we bring water out for you? Wait a second, Moses. You don't bring water at anything. You don't bring this. That's something God does. What he does is he begins to steal the glory from God. And he says, okay, people, you want water? I'll give you water. And suddenly God's just saying, Moses, not only you disobeyed me, now you're taking credit for something that only I can do. But I want you to notice the same reason that Israel is in this place is the reason God gave. He said, Moses, the problem is you did not trust me enough to do what I said. Disobedience always comes down to a lack of trust in God. A spiritual failure is always a faith failure. 
At some point, Moses didn't trust God. Okay, God, if I don't hit this rock, what good's that going to do? He didn't trust that God would do what he said if you just obey him. He didn't trust him enough to do. I, I, I've tried to think about what this was. He said, speak to the rock. He becomes very vulnerable now. Here's Moses, big, mighty man with a stick in his hand coming up to a, What do you say to a rock? Please give me water. I mean, what do you say to what? I, we have no idea what God, having a conversation, I don't know what that is, but suddenly now Moses is in a humble position just doing what God said, and he did not trust God enough to do what God told him to do. Do you understand, folks? That's why wondering happens. That's why we miss what God has for our life is simply not trusting the direction giver. Not, the directions he gives are clear, but not trusting him enough to do what he said to do. But here's another thing that came to my mind about as we we're looking at this. It also teaches me that this journey that we're on, it's never, in, never a past. It's always a current event. It's always about where I am with God at this moment and about doing what God has called me to do at this time. It's not about your past sin. It's not about your past progress. It's about what is your next step now? What is it that God's doing in your life at this very moment? That's what this is all about. Now, understand, Moses was, was still a, a great man of God. He did great things. God, in fact, in God's epitaph of him in the end of Deuteronomy, God says there was nobody like Moses, one of a kind, one of the greatest prophets ever. So it wasn't that Moses' life was a failure, but Moses missed the fulfillment of his life and going into the land of promise because he chose not to trust God and obey him. How can we have success in this journey? How can we avoid wandering? How do we get stop the wandering? It basically comes down to one final thought. Spiritual success is obeying God's current instructions for my life. It's listening to God right where I am, right here, right now, trusting him enough to do what he's telling me to do right here and right now. When we come to the book of Deuteronomy in the story, the wanderings are coming to an end. The generation, a new generation is stepping up to the plate. Moses now comes to them, and he's basically saying, guys, you get a second chance here. Your parents, your grandparents, they didn't trust God. They're, they didn't get to see the promised land, but you have a chance. You now have the opportunity to experience what God had in mind for you. And understand, while he's preaching Deuteronomy, he knows that he's not going to get to go in himself. He already knows that, that this is the, his life is coming to an end and he's not going to experience it. But he says, but I want you, these folks now, and where, the opportunities you have, I want you to see what God can have for you. So he comes to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy and he gives these words to them. He said, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commandments, his decrees, and his laws. And you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering in to possess. Now, Christians, I get it. We're, remember, this is an example for us. We're not talking about a land. God doesn't have a piece of property for us. What he does for us is he says that there is a life. There is a fulfillment. Jesus called it that I came to give you life and that life more abundantly, that life to the full. God has a plan for us. And it's about trusting that his plan is best and how to get there is the only, the best way to get there. And, and so in this same the same place that Moses says, here's what you need to do, Israel. We too can take the same advice. In fact, just a few verses later in that book of Deuteronomy, he, he says it again, but he gives, us, he gives us some very special instructions. Three words that I'm going to let you get, but this is the verse that I encourage you to memorize this week. Deuteronomy 30, starting verse 19, here's what he says to Israel. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. Wow. Choose life. And where are you going to find that life? The Lord is your life. See, that, that speaks to every one of us in this room. Think about this. Whatever you're doing right now to pursue the biggest life you can get, it might be money, it might be success, it might be popularity, it might be friends, whatever. You're pursuing life. Understand, all your pursuits of life, God says, where you'll find life is in me. The Lord is your life. 
All those other pursuits, many of them, there's nothing wrong with them. But if you want to know life, you're only going to find it in one place. And that is in a walking, a relationship with the creator. And it comes to a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. That's where your life is found. But did you notice in there, there's three words that I want you to grab out of this verse. And I want us to figure out how we can apply them this week. The words are love, listen, and hold. Now, he told us earlier, love God, keep his commandments. And now he summarized it. Here's what you do. You love God. Love God with all your, as he said, that, that's the greatest commandment. Love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not about saying, oh, yes, I love God. Okay, that's what we say in church. It's about him having your life and that, that you wrap your life around him and say, God, whatever it means, whatever decision I make, it's because I love you. This is what I, obedience is not about because God's twisting our arm. It's because we love him and we want to follow him. Love the Lord your God. Everything starts with that. But then he said, and listen to his voice. The only way, as he said, to walk in obedience is if you're listening to him. How do I know where God wants me to go? How do I? You've got to listen. You're going to have to shut off the world once in a while and just listen. You're going to have to start your day. You're going to have to end your day. You're going to have to have throughout your day opportunities just to hear God. Listen to his voice. He has an amazing, abundant life, a life to the full. But Jesus said that where do you find it? Come follow me. It's a, it's a walking relationship, listening to his voice. And then he says, and then hold fast to him. That word hold, is, is, to me, it's a very powerful word. It, the first time it was used is the book of Genesis when he gave instructions to Adam and he said, Adam, you need to leave father and mother and cleave, hold on to, be united to your wife. It's the same word. What he's saying is in your, you have a relationship with God. Hold on to that. Like he said to uh, husband to wife, uh, glue yourself to her, uh, give yourself to her, make, make sure you, you, that you live in that. And that's what he says about your relationship with God. Hold fast to him, hold on to him. Make everything about knowing and walking in your relationship with God. That is our pursuit. Love God, listen to his voice and hold on to him every day of our life and throughout the days of our life. That's the, the attitude, the journey. Never let him Go. It's about trusting in a relationship, listening to God's voice, and as you do, rejoice, because that means you're right where God wants you to be. If you're, if you're, lis if you're loving, listening, and, and holding, you're never going to wander. It's when one of those things begins to slip that we begin to find ourselves in a hold. You, you love, you listen, and you hold, and you'll find that you're right where God wants you to be in your spiritual life. So, today, have you started the journey? The journey starts with deliverance. Has there been a point in your life when you realized that you were a sinner, you needed a Savior, and you realized that the only hope of life is through Jesus Christ, and you gave your life to Him? And He came in and forgave your sin and made you one of His children. Have you experienced the, the moment of deliverance? If not, today, could be, today you could recognize your sin and His provision, and you could receive the gift of salvation. The journey starts right there. If you've started that journey, you know Christ is your Savior. Where, where are you in that journey? Have, currently, is there anything in your life that you and, and God know that you should be doing and for whatever reason you're not going there? You're not willing to do it. You're, you're not listening. What is your next step and are you following it? If you are, then guess what? You're right where God wants you to be. But if not, what would be the next step that God has for you? What decision does God pull in your heart today? I love you, God. Then as you do, you'll listen to his voice and do what he calls you to do. What does that look like to you? Baptism? Joining God's church? Starting to serve in, in ministry? Telling a friend about Christ? Changing a, an action or a reaction? or change? What, what is it that God's saying, this is what I want for you to do, and are you following God's Let's bow our heads this morning for prayer. There is a journey that begins the moment you receive Christ. And God has in mind for you to experience through that journey his fullness, his, the, the, the abundance that he has for you. He's going to give specific instructions. It comes down to, are you currently following, obeying the instructions that God has given you? If you are, then today we can leave here rejoicing, saying, God, 
this is a great journey. I, I don't get it all. I don't understand. I'm not even sure why I may be in this point, but I know I'm where you want me to be. Thank you, God. Or maybe God's got a step for you and you're making that decision today. It's about whether I'm going to trust him enough to do what he's called me to do. Or maybe today there's something that you've been saying, God, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he's saying, do you trust me? If you trust me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. Trust me, love me, hold me, and know that I would never lead you wrong. What's God saying in your heart today? Father, as we've listened to you today, I thank you for the journey. I thank you for, thank you for deliverance that comes through Jesus Christ and our salvation and for the relationship that starts and we can follow you. But God, now in this journey, it's important that we're willing to listen to you and obey as you speak to us. So God, I pray for this congregation. There are, there are probably, besides this congregation, there are some in this room who have yet to receive you as Savior. They've not yet experienced that salvation. Lord, today, would you call them? Let them see their need and cry out to you for salvation, to repent of where they've been and to follow you. God, help them. And then for Christians, all of us, to search our hearts and say, God, I'm listening. I want to go right where you want me to be. If there's anything you want me to do, God, that's, that's where I'm at. I just want to, I want to follow your voice. I love you, God. Please do a work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Chris is going to begin to sing, and as he does, God speaking to you, I invite you, you can pray right where you're seated. But there will also be people here at the front that would be love to pray with you if you'd like to come and have someone pray with you. Maybe today you want to know what it means to know Christ, to be freed and have eternal life. We'd love to show you from the scriptures what that looks like. Let's spend some time letting God speak to us and then listening to what he has to say as Chris begins to sing.